This is a recording of a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. And, uh, and other big news, today is also April Fool's Day. So I'm sure you guys have that marked on your calendar. Uh, this is a, a big day in, in my world growing up because I love pranks. I love practical jokes. And this past week, I heard of an amazing one. Uh, a friend of mine showed me this video of a kind of short documentary of someone who lives in London and was working for Travelocity writing fake reviews on restaurants. And he was realizing that he was creating buzz and hype on restaurants that he had never even been to. He never even tried the food, but he'd just be like, try the lasagna. It's fantastic. And he decided, I wonder if I can make a fake restaurant. And so he spends about six months and he creates this restaurant called The Shed of Dulwich. And he uh, and kind of makes a name for it and takes a few pictures of his back, his like really ugly backyard and his friends eating food there. And then he gets all of his friends starting to write reviews on this restaurant that does not exist. And this documentary shows that it starts going up in the rankings on Travelocity to the, to the point, uh, um, I'm sorry, TripAdvisor, to the point where it is, becomes, out of 18,000 restaurants in the London area, becomes number one. <laughs> this restaurant that does not exist. So people are calling and trying to make reservations. They're like, I'm so sorry, we're booked for the next uh, f- few months. And so he decides to give the people what they want. And he decides to open up this restaurant that doesn't exist. And um, so he, but he doesn't want to give it away. So he tells them to meet them at the corner of a street. And then he blindfolds them and walks them back to the alley of, to his backyard. And then he takes microwave food, right? Heats it up and then puts some edible flowers on it and serves it. And the people's responses are amazing, Right? Because they think they're at the number one top rated restaurant in London. And so the response is, this is the best food I've ever had. It reminds me of growing up. This is incredible. The atmosphere, there's literally a, a table on top of his shed that you can sit at. And it, the, the thing is completely ridiculous. But because of the hype surrounding it, everyone is talking about it. And it takes about two weeks before they figure out it's fake and they shut it down. Uh, but this guy has kind of become famous, created this short documentary. It's not kid-friendly in case you want to look that up after church. Uh, but, but I was watching this video, and, and, and I was really reminded of another conversation I had with my friend talking about Easter. And he said, my friend referred to Easter as another one of uh, a religious myth that we celebrate. And I was reflecting on that. I'm like, what? What, is, what does Easter mean for our world? Is it, is it a fake restaurant that's been hyped up? Is it, is it a, a, the greatest Christian hoax that's ever been? Or, or is it something more and deeper? And the reality is if you're sitting here, it probably means one of three things for you. Uh, maybe for you, this is a really important day for you. And you're here to worship Jesus and you believe he rose from the dead. Uh, Maybe for you, Easter is uh, a time to celebrate with family, right? And you fill plastic Easter eggs with candy and you have fun and you eat ham and and you dress up in way too many pastels. And this is kind of what Easter is for you. Um, Or maybe for you, you're here and you are skeptical. You're doubting and you're trying to figure out, is this just some sort of religious motion that people have gravitated towards to make themselves feel better. And so since I have your attention for the next few minutes, my hope 
is to dive into a story that happens right after the resurrection of Jesus that hopefully can shine light on what this day is really about. Is it really about tradition and family get-togethers? Is it really uh, about this, this Jesus that came to the world and, and died on a cross and rose again? Or is it something that we are still trying to figure out? And so as we dive into this passage of Scripture, my hope is that no matter where you are in those camps, that something new comes today. No matter where you're sitting in your own understanding or relationship with God, you would be invited into a different sort of reality through this story. Because, and I'm just going to kind of give it away, what I believe is that today is the most important day of the year. What, happens, what happened today, 2,000 years ago, is the most significant event that happened. And the reason I believe that is one of the early church fathers, a man named Paul, wrote a letter to a church in a nearby city called Corinth, and he writes to this church about the resurrection. And this is what he says. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, which means worthless or useless or empty, and you are still in your sins. A couple of weeks back as a community, we talked about the significance of the cross and the atoning work of God. And if, you, and if you're unfamiliar with the cross, you can go to our website and go back and listen to that teaching. But according to Paul, the cross, as amazing and powerful as it is, if there was no resurrection, then it doesn't matter. Those are powerful words. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, it says our faith is empty and worthless. We're still in our sins. So today is not just a great day. It is a significant and vital day to our faith and our life. And I was thinking about, because there's, there's all sorts of story and nuances that happen after the resurrection. And it's like, where do we begin? And I was thinking, because today is April Fool's Day, maybe we should start with the person who was the most skeptical, the person who doubted the most the person who did not want to be fooled. There's like one of his followers named Thomas. And Thomas gets a bad rap because he's often referred to as Doubting Thomas, but he, there's a couple other mentions of him in Scripture that kind of give us a picture of him before we find out that he's a doubter. And the, the first thing we find out about Thomas is he's a twin. There's someone else, not a follower, not one of the disciples of Jesus, but there's someone else he's connected to. But the next thing we find out of him is actually really amazing. In John, which will be today, in chapter 11, it talks about this Thomas, and it says, Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now this is huge. This is talking about Jesus going to Jerusalem. And Thomas doesn't stand up and be like, You know, that's not a good idea. I don't know if we should do that. This guy who gets the bad rap for doubting Thomas at one point in his life, at one point in his journey, was the person who said, let's go die with him. Let's go. I'm all in. There's nothing about this that I'm not a part of. I will give my life for this man. And that's really the first introduction we have to Thomas is kind of like all in Thomas, not doubting Thomas. But because of the prophecy that Jesus says, I will die, which he does. He goes to the cross and he's beaten and marred and, and, and crucified, sacrificed as a, a, a thief's death, a death. Someone who would have been an enemy of Rome. 
He's mocked and spit on, and he does this all to fulfill this idea that you and I don't have to die that death. But Jesus also prophesied that he'd raise three days later. But what's so funny about that is everyone seemed absolutely shocked. So this morning, 2,000 years ago, women show up to the tomb to prepare his burial, and they realize the stone has been rolled away. He's not there, and Jesus appears to Mary and says, says, woman, who are you looking for? And she realizes this is Jesus. He's alive. He's not dead. And she runs back and tells the disciples. But for whatever reason, Thomas wasn't there. I don't know where he was. Maybe we went to Trader Joe's for a few minutes or something. But he's not in the room when that happens. So this is where we're going to kind of pick up the story. Jesus has died. He's now been raised again. And Thomas has yet to see him. And this is kind of the interaction we're going to find ourselves in. This is in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Can you imagine Thomas in that moment? Oh my gosh, I was wrong. Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So let's let's go back. Let's kind of use our imaginations here. So Jesus has died. And by the way, all of his followers believe that Jesus was bringing a new military Uh, regime that would overthrow Rome. And that's what they signed up for. So when Jesus died, immediately they're like, we're next. They're coming after us. And so what do they do? They lock themselves in a room, bolted up. And three days later, Jesus raises from the dead, which you think would kind of turn things around and they would kind of be like, hey, you know what? He's alive. Let's go get him. But that's not what they do. They go back to the room and they lock it up. Slightly confused, very afraid. I don't know what's happening here because he appeared, then he's gone. And so they're kind of in this moment. And it says that, and Thomas wasn't there. But while they were there, if you read the previous passage, Jesus shows up to the disciples the first time without Thomas. And he says something two times to them. He says, Peace be with you. Now keep in mind, they're frightened, not only at Jesus' sighting, but they're locked in a room because they're afraid of what's coming after them. And Jesus' message to them, the resurrected Christ's message to them is peace be with you. 
But Thomas wasn't there. So Thomas shows up. They're like, Thomas, dude, you missed it. You ever hate being that guy? Like, oh, what happened? And so Thomas is that guy. He's like, what happened? He's like, we just saw Jesus. And Thomas's response, we, he kind of gets a bad rap, but we all would kind of be in there. They're like, he's alive. And his response is, unless I get to touch his wounds, I'm not going to believe. Well, what's interesting is Jesus doesn't show up in that moment. It says a week later. I never realized that before, but Jesus decides in his divine knowing and wisdom to let Thomas sit in his doubt for a while. So a week later, the disciples are still locked up in a room, which is kind of funny to me. They're still afraid. They still don't know what to do. Thomas is there. The festival is now ended that they were a part of, but they're still there maybe waiting for something. And Jesus shows up in the room, right? Didn't open the door. He just appeared. So somehow his resurrected body now gets to transfer through walls. And they show up and everyone, can you just imagine them nudging Thomas? Like, told you so, dude. Come on. And Jesus shows up and directly speaks to Thomas, which is kind of freaky. Like he's responding to something he said a week ago when he wasn't even present. Or was he? And so he stands there and he says, here they are. Touch my wounds. If this is what it takes for you to believe, go ahead. Now, what's interesting is the next verse, Jesus says something, and he says, because you've seen, you believe. And most scholars actually believe that at that moment, Thomas never actually touched his wounds. Just seeing him was enough, which is kind of a relief, because isn't that kind of gross? Anyone else like, oh, really? It's got to be a better way. But Jesus shows up. And he shows him his wounds, like come and touch them. And at that moment, Thomas is overwhelmed. Not, he doesn't even have to touch him. He just sees him. And he, res- and he has this really important response that we just kind of gloss over. But he says something. He says, my Lord and my God. Now, this is really massive if you have read the whole book of John in its context. And the reason for that is throughout all of John's biography of Jesus' life, he records people's confession of who they think he is. Some people said, you are the son of God. Some people refer to him as the Messiah. And he records six times when people say, this is who you are. This is now the seventh time that someone will actually declare who Jesus is. And it is the only time that he blatantly says, you are God. And in Jewish culture, they love numbers. They use numbers to create effect and tension and to draw energy. And so when you do something seven times, the seventh time is perfection. And what I love about this in John's writing, he decides And I'm sure there's tons of confessions, but he decides the seventh one is going to be the one that Thomas said. The seventh one is going to come from the mouth of a doubter. The seventh one is going to be the proclamation that not only is he the son of God, he is God. Which ties it back to the very opening lines of John's biography. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he ties it up nicely with a bow at the end with here's this person locked in fear, locked in doubt and skepticism, stands before the resurrected Christ, and his response, the grand finale of the statements is, you are God. And Jesus' response to him was, you're right, (laughs) correct. But he says something. He says, you believe because you saw. Blessed are those who believe in me who haven't seen. That's us. That's people who are sitting here thousands of years later, halfway across the world, who have yet to see the physical resurrected Christ. But what he's done through Ordinary people like you and me through the work of his spirit on the earth is so extraordinary that has drawn not just a small number, but the greatest number of people that any faith has ever claimed in the world. So I wanted to give you guys three things to kind of walk away with today, three application points to kind of for us to chew on. If you're taking notes, you can write these things down. I'll just give you all three right now. Number one is this, the resurrected Jesus brings peace to the fearful. The resurrected Jesus brings peace to the fearful. Number two, the resurrected Jesus brings reality to the doubter. Number three, the resurrected Jesus brings life to the believer. We're going to kind of work our way through these things. These are all things that took place in the text we just read. He gives peace to the fearful. He gives reality to the doubter, and he gives life to the believer. And so this is how when we leave today, these are things that should stir in our hearts. And every one of us are in different places with different journeys, different pains and aches, fears and doubts. But I believe that just in the same way Jesus showed up for Thomas, he wants to show up for you today. And maybe you're like Thomas, maybe you're doubting, maybe you're like, I don't even know if I believe anymore. Can I just tell you right now, that's okay. It was okay for Thomas. It's okay for you. But let's look at those three things. Number one, the resurrected Jesus brings peace to the fearful. Man, I, I don't know about you, but I've, I was thinking about times in my life when I've been afraid. And there's one time in particular that reminded me of being boarded up in a room when I was on a missions trip with a bunch of young adults in the Dominican Republic. We took a bunch of our interns down there to go and and serve some of the rural poor down there and see what God was doing. And uh, the place you normally stay at was not available. And so they decided to let us stay at this hotel in this this city called Banao, which is a non-tourist city. Which is really great. It's amazing. And the food was amazing. And the culture was amazing. And we're at this hotel. And all of a sudden, uh, two of the, the young uh, kind of college-age girls uh, come and say, Hey, we have a weird feeling about our room. Um, would you mind coming and checking it out? So me and the other leader... The other male leader went and checked out checked the room. Like, we don't feel comfortable staying here. The, the person's kind of being odd. And so I'm like, okay. And so I go talk to the, the host, and I'm like, hey, would you mind if we switch rooms? 
And the person at the front desk said, no, you can't switch rooms. I said, but we're all in the same group. Can't they just, they'll just go in our room, we'll go here. Like, no, they need to stay in that room. And I'm like, that's odd. And so I just looked at him, I'm sorry, they have to switch. So I'm going to be in this room. He's written, he's, he's visibly angry. And I, don't, I can't understand why I'm kind of talking through my broken Spanish. And I, don't, I just don't get it, but I just told him, like, this is going to happen. So we switch rooms. And I am in the room. So I start looking at like kind of the room and I look out the window and I look out the window and there's a balcony and there's a ladder that's been placed that goes directly down and there's three men sitting at the bottom of the ladder looking up at me. And I look at them and they look at me and they start running. And I'm like, I just got chills. I'm like, what was about to happen? And so I'm like, at first I'm like so relieved. I'm like, man, thank you, Jesus, that you like spoke to us and that everyone's safe and stuff like that. And so me and my, my friend are in that room and stuff. And all of a sudden I realize, I'm like, what if they come back for me? <laughs> you know, I mean, despite my physical physique, you know, that would intimidate most people. I was a little afraid. And so what did we do? Me and this other, my, my other leader, we boarded up the room right? So we like got chairs and furniture. We like blocked ourselves in. I'm in a country. I don't know. This whole thing just got super sketchy. I'm like, I just want to be safe. None of us slept through the night. It ended up totally being okay. But I was thinking about that moment and how the disciples must have felt so uncertain, so insecure of what, it, of what was going to happen to them now that Jesus would died, raised from the dead, and they're still locking themselves in that room, right? Gripped with fear, literally. And some of you, that's you today. You've boarded up your life with worry and anxiety and fear because you are so afraid of what's going to happen to you. And because we fear, we lock ourselves in in hopes of preserving our earthly life. And it's all fear is, isn't it? It's our attempt to preserve our earthly life. That's why we have caution and wisdom, which turns into fear. We're just trying to protect. But Jesus rose. He broke himself out in hopes of securing our eternal life. You see the difference? I'm going to read that again. Because we fear, we lock ourselves in in hopes of preserving our earthly life. But because he rose, he broke himself out in hopes of securing our eternal life. You see, when the resurrected Jesus shows up in your life, he reminds you of anything that is gripping you with fear is smaller than the strength and the power that he brings through his life. Scripture says that it is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that lives inside of you. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you actually, ex- there's a power that exists within you that's not your own, but that comes through his spirit and through the victory that he won at Calvary that is accessible to us. And I believe that every Easter is a moment for Jesus to show up in your life, wherever you're fearful, and to say, peace be with you. And maybe for you, that's your Easter message. You're gripped in fear and you don't know what to do. And you need to be reminded this morning that Jesus is not a story to be studied. He's a person that is living right now and wants to show up in your life and to proclaim peace for you. Peace over your fears. Peace over those things you've boarded up and locked up and barricaded in your life because you're so afraid of what could happen. Jesus can break through those things just like he did in those rooms and to proclaim his peace over your life. 
The second thing that Jesus does is the resurrected Jesus brings reality to the doubter. I can't tell you how much I've been fascinated with and blown away with Jesus' interaction with Thomas. The fact that Thomas would make such a bold statement to his followers, like, you're, essentially, you're a bunch of liars. He didn't raise until I can touch his wounds. I'm not going to believe. And that Jesus decides to wait a week before he shows up for Thomas. Thomas sitting in his doubt, sitting in his skepticism. Did this really happen? And Jesus shows up and welcomes. This is what I love. If, if I was Jesus, right? Which is a pretty long stretch of the imagination. But if I was Jesus and someone made that sort of comment, like, I don't believe what he promised that he was going to do. I would show up and be like, told you so, right? Ta-da. I'm alive. Why didn't you believe people? But what's so interesting is he doesn't rebuke. He invites. Touch. Do you see? I think this is so profound because if you're here today and you're filled with doubt, or maybe you're just like, I'm just not sure. Can I just say, that's okay. Jesus' desire is to meet you in your doubt. And, and, and can I tell you, if it's not today, that's okay too. Because it wasn't that day for Thomas. But I do believe if you're honest with yourself and you're seeking truth and you want to know, says, if you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I believe that everyone in this place, no matter where you are in your relationship with God, whether you are all in, you're skeptical, or maybe you're flat out against, that Jesus wants to step into the room and the reality of where you are and to invite you, not just into a knowledge, but into a relationship. And what's amazing is that when you choose to see, to listen, is God there? He shows up. And so on my notes, I have five historical evidences for the accuracy and historicity of the resurrection. There's many more than five. And I debated whether I was even going to share them. Because I'm like, is this just knowledge? But I, but I believe, and I'm going to do them briefly, but if you're here today and intellectually, you, it's a roadblock for you. I just don't know how this could happen. Did this really happen? I'm going to share five very brief reasons why we can believe in the historicity of the resurrection, that it's a real event that happened to a real person named Jesus Christ. Because maybe that's going to be helpful for you. And so if you're taking notes of this interests you, just five things. Number one, the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection were women. Now, you probably didn't pick up on that because in our culture, that doesn't really mean that much of whether it's a man or a woman giving a testimony. But in that day, a woman's testimony would not hold up in court. Only a man's. So for the gospel writers to record the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection were women, if this was made up, would make no sense. 
If they're trying to fabricate a story, why would they have women be the first eyewitnesses? But the details in this story lean to this idea that this isn't made up. This is how it actually happened. Number two, there's embarrassing details of the resurrection from the authors. So if, if you're making up a story, you're going to make yourselves look like the hero, look good. But every one of the gospel writers, they look like idiots. They look like fools. They're not making themselves look great at all. This is all pointed towards Jesus. Which leads to maybe the most compelling, number three, their willingness to die for this reality. Now keep in mind, they weren't, willing, they weren't wanting to die at this point when they're locked up, but something happened after the resurrection where they started changing their lives around. They said, you know what? I'm going to die for this thing. Now maybe you're like, well, maybe they were like, you know, maybe they would all, maybe one of them would die for it. But the fact that every single one of these disciples, with the exception of one, died a martyr's death, I'm sorry, you're going to have to convince me a whole lot more that they would die for a lie than that they would die for this reality. I mean, I might do a lot to cover up a lie, but I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to lose my life and convince hundreds of other people to lose their lives too for one lie. Fourth thing, there's documentary evidence not just in the scripture, but in different historians, Christian and non-Christian, that point to this as a reality that happened. And number five uh, is the multiple post-resurrection eyewitnesses that take place. And there's dozens more. And if you're like, I need to know more about that, send me an email. I'd love to have a conversation with you about that. But I just wanted to give that to you because I think it's okay if you're doubting. But I also think it's okay for you to know that this is not stuff that's made up. There's a reality to it. And this showed up last night for me. I'm polling. We were setting up here. We got home super late. And I'm almost to my house. And I get there and there's a, a car stalled in the middle of the off-ramp. And I'm like, it's one of those moments where you're so tired and you're like, Lord, I don't really need to stop and help, right? And the Holy Spirit's like, no. So I pulled over and it's this... Uh, older Hispanic lady. She's like, I ran out of gas. My phone's dead. I have money. I just have no way to get to a gas station. Um, a little girl, either her daughter or granddaughter was in the car with her. So I pulled off and I'm like, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of it. Went to my house to go look for gas can. wasn't there. So I called AAA. So I have to wait there. AAA, you got to wait there for 30 minutes. So I'm like, great. It's exactly what I want to do the night before Easter. There's a wait outside. I'm really tired and really hungry. And so I'm kind of having a bad attitude and I'm sitting there and, she, and we start having this conversation. And she starts being like, so did you just come from work? And I'm like, kind of. Told her I'm a pastor. And I'm like, yeah, we, we're getting ready for Easter. And she's like, oh, I haven't, I haven't been to church in a long time. She's like, I'm pretty angry at God right now. I'm like, really? How, how come? She says, well, my husband cheated on me. My mom and my dad just died. My mom recently died. And I'm mad at God. I'm mad at myself. I'm mad at my mom. I'm just mad. She's like, I haven't cried once. And she just starts venting. And, this is, and you can just tell there's this hardness to her. So I start having this conversation with her about, do you, 
Uh, how, how grief and death is so foreign to us and it breaks our hearts. And I shared with her my own grief and my own loss in my life. And she's like, well, how do you get yourself up out of the morning? I just started telling her, I'm like, I need Jesus in my life to do that because he gives me life that lasts beyond death. And so I started talking in this conversation with her and I'm like, I think Jesus wants to heal you of your anger. And she starts crying. She's like, I haven't cried in months. And so we have this conversation into praying with her right as the like AAA tow truck driver's coming up. She's, he's like, is this the right spot? I'm like, yeah. Turns out the tow truck driver is a pastor <laughs> as well. And we said that we had church on the side of the freeway. And what was so amazing is as she's driving away, she tells me that she's like, God sees me. And here's this woman filled with doubt and anger. And on the eve of the resurrection of Jesus, she's reminded that that Jesus is still alive and still sees her. And if you're here and you're doubting, that's my prayer. That you would know today, whether it's intellectual, whether it's emotional, whether it's relational, that you would know today God sees you. And our last thing we'll just end on this, this morning is the resurrected Jesus brings life to the believer. Church history teaches us that doubting Thomas became the first missionary to India. In 55 AD, took a boat, went to India. And if you read church history, what you find is two things marked his ministry. One was massive miracles and healings. And second was baptisms. And I love the ending of that story because we may know him as Doubting Thomas, but there are thousands, if not millions of people who, if they could, could trace back their faith in Jesus back to a doubter. And maybe that's you today because Jesus says, for those who believe, I will give Life And please let me emphasize this. This is not just life after you die. This is life right now. Jesus came not to just promise something after we die. He promised to give us something that's greater than death that we get to experience today. And that's his message. That's his, the reality that he brings. It's crazy being here today and, and let me explain why not just because this is my first easter and i'm wearing a tie and loafers that hurt my feet but two years ago i was sitting on a hill in san marcos looking at encinitas and the clearest i had ever heard god in my life he started talking about this this neighborhood this city of encinitas and he said Benji, I love these people. It says they're surrounded by beauty, but they don't know who the artist is. I want you to show them the artist. And it left me weeping. I kid you not, one of the most amazing moments I've ever had with God in my entire life. And two weeks ago, I'm up in LA and I, I feel that the Holy Spirit whispered to me. He says, Hey, where's your first Easter service? And it hit me outside of my planning or wisdom 
our first, what we would call our public service, where we've invited the community and sent out mailers, is literally at an art museum. And the reason I share that story is because this Jesus is not something we just get to learn about. He's alive. He speaks to us and orchestrates our lives and gives us abundant life if we choose to believe in him and put our faith in him. And my imagination goes wild thinking about what would happen if a community of people just like this would lean into this Jesus and say, whatever you say, God, even if I don't see all the details, even if I don't know everything I want to know, whatever you say, I will believe in you. I'll put my trust in you. Because what is promised to us is life. Lux Art Institute is known for an apartment they have up the hill where they invite artists to come and live for a month and make art and show it to the community. Artists in residence, they call it. I'm here to proclaim a message about a God, a creator, an artist, if you will, who took residence on earth. And the art he creates from the beginning of time to the moment of resurrection, the art that this creator, this maker, this artisan gives is not a canvas, it's not ceramics, it's life. And that's what today is about. It's about life, a life that Jesus gives and promises us for those who believe, those who are fearful, those who are doubting, those who are skeptical, life. And all we have to do is believe. And if you want to come and and join me up here and play music, I would love to to close our morning with a moment of honesty of where you're at. And that this message is so different than any other message because it demands a response. It demands a reality that Jesus that we're talking about is not a history lesson. He's here. And he's available to us and what he's wanting to bring is life. So would you guys do me a favor? Would you guys bow your heads with me? And as you bow your heads, would you just begin to be honest with yourself just for a minute before we start to pray would you just kind of just see where you're at are you full of faith and joy and excited about Jesus amazing are you here today and you know Jesus but you're locked in a room you're locked within your own fear and maybe you're here today and you are filled with doubt Father, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. Lord, thank you that you came, Jesus, you came. And not only did you die, an atoning sacrifice for us, not only did you take our sin upon your shoulders, 
But Lord, you did not stay dead. Lord, you conquered and defeated death. And Lord, I thank you so much that that life that you experienced is now given to every one of us who believe. So just a couple of questions. With everyone, you can still close your eyes for a second. And, and the reason we do this is it's not more spiritual or less spiritual. It just helps us to focus and, and be sensitive to others. But with everyone kind of closing their eyes, if you're here this morning and maybe, you're, maybe you have been on the fence for a while and maybe you don't have all the answers yet. But if this is a morning where you want to give your life to Jesus because you desire his life in you, if this is a morning that you want to say, you know what? I want relationship with God. You want the gift that he gave us on the cross. With every eye closed, would you just go ahead and, and slip up your hand so I could see you and pray for you? Awesome. Thank you so much. Right on. It's amazing. Anyone else just wants to make that moment, that decision, placing your faith? Love it. Thank you so much. And by the way, if you didn't raise your hand, that doesn't mean you're in or you're out. This is something that has to do with your heart that should eventually take place in your in your life. So Lord, we thank you for everyone who raised their hands this morning, Lord Jesus. I pray that you would meet them in a very real way today. That today would mark a new chapter in their life. And Lord, lastly, I just feel kind of impressed in my heart, Lord, that that those who are with us today, Lord Jesus, who are afraid, Lord God, afraid for maybe a child who's, who's gone astray, afraid for some news they got from the doctor, afraid because of the fragility of life, afraid of what's happening in their relationships and family. Lord, I pray right now that you would show up, not me as, as a, a speaker, but you in your presence, your Holy Spirit would come and whisper, peace be with you. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for today. Thank you for raising from the dead that you are alive. In Jesus' name, amen.